Praise you, Lord. Why don't you grab your Bibles this morning? We're going to get into the Word of the Lord. While you're all standing, let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Amen. I'm going to go to the book of Acts. In chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. So glad for everybody who is here this morning. For those of you who are visiting with us for the first time, we're very grateful that you're here. Pray you feel God's presence here. It's what we want in our church. We want people to experience the life changing power of God. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. That's what we're all about here. Nobody in this church is perfect, far from it. But we are a church that sincerely loves the Lord. And we are seeking His will for our lives. So we're glad you're here. What you're feeling today is God's presence. Amen. It is so good to see Sister Jenny here as well. God bless you. Glad you're visiting with us this morning. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness. In other words, unity, focus, singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And as a result of all of that, the Bible says, concluding chapter 2, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Praise the Lord. It's Pledge Sunday. Go ahead and put that slide up. It's Pledge Sunday. Amen. 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 It's Pledge Sunday today. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm going to preach to you for a little while, and then we're going to talk about what Pledge Sunday means. Amen. The early church in the book of Acts, let me give you a little bit of background here. The church at this point in time was on the cusp or the brink of the greatest revival that had ever been seen. It was really the first revival. Up until this point in time, religion had been the rule of the day. Everyone had a relationship with the temple. Everyone who lived for God had to give sacrifices. But this day, they were on the cusp of the greatest thing that had ever happened in the history of human race outside of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? Amen. Jesus had risen from the grave, and He had ascended back up into heaven. The Holy Spirit 
earlier on in the book of Acts had been poured out. And, and Paul commented in the book of Acts chapter 26, verse 26, that this thing was not done in a corner. Or in other words, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this revival that was just about to break out, was not something that was done quietly. It was not something that it was hidden away. It was not something that nobody knew about it. Because wonders and signs were being done by the power of God through the ministry of the apostles. And when I look at what is going on in the first few days after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that is what I want for our church. Can someone say amen? I want to have a church that is on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. I want to be a church where lives and hearts can be changed. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. I don't want this to happen in a corner. I don't want this to be quiet, but I want all of Cairns to know that there is a God who is visiting this church. That all of Cairns knows that there is an answer for their hurt. That there is an answer for what's going on. That there is a solution for the problem of mankind's sin. That's what I want for our church. Somebody say amen. amen. I want a church that is proud of who we are. And I'm not talking about an ungodly pride, but I'm talking about the fact that we are excited to be a part of this church, that we are excited about what God is doing, that we are looking forward with expectation and faith and hope to the future, knowing that our cause is from God, that our cause is already victorious, and that God has a purpose and a plan for our church. Somebody say amen. Amen. I'm going to get you to preach with me even if I have to tell you every couple of sentences. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. And we know the end of the story. Amen. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the result was that the Lord added daily to the church such as could be saved, such as would be saved, should be saved. We'll get our coulds, shoulds, and woulds right. Amen. That's what I want for our church. I want our church to experience a revival that has not yet been seen in this country. I want our church to be the epicenter of an outpouring of God's Spirit. I want our church to be the one where God begins to move and, and hearts are changed and lives are changed. I want to see more signs and wonders. I want to see miracles. Why? Not because I'm interested in building some great name for myself. Not because I'm interested in building some great church building. Not because I'm interested in seeing the UPC exalted. No, I want to see lives changed because when lives are changed, it brings glory and honor and majesty to God. And that's what I want our church to be about. Amen. When Paul stands up and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's what I want, not just for me, but I want every single man, woman, boy and girl in this church to be able to say, I am proud to be a part of this movement. I am proud to be a part of the revival that's coming. I am proud to be a part of the body of Christ. That I am looking forward and I am pushing and I am doing everything I can to help support and bring about the revival that God has for us in these end times. Somebody say, Amen. amen. I feel like preaching this morning. 
I, for one, I don't know about you, but I, for one, am not happy to just cruise along just doing the Sunday programs and not challenging ourselves for greater. I don't want to stay the same. I don't want to be the same size. I don't want to have the same building. I want to just finish off this building program and have to start another one because we've outgrown where we are. I want to be a church whose faith is stretched, who believes God for the ridiculously impossible, whose faith begins to grow and rise. And I feel faith in this place. Amen. But as I look through the scriptures in the book of Acts here in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the book of Acts, I, I look for what caused this revival to happen. And I conclude this as my first point as an overriding factor. Jesus is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. His power has not diminished. His presence has not disappeared. He is still the same. Amen. And that means if He is still the same, there is no reason according to God why we cannot have the same revival that they had in the book of Acts. You see, the lack of revival that we might feel we have is not because of God. He's the same God. If He wanted to bring 3,000 people into the church on the book of Acts on the first day, He can do it today. It's not too hard for Him, amen? So as far as God is concerned, there is no reason why we should not be experiencing revival. There is no reason why we should not experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is no reason from God's perspective why we should not be experiencing the presence of God more and more and more every time to come, we come together. There is no reason from God's perspective why we should not be seeing lives and hearts changed every single day. Somebody say amen. And so if Jesus is the same, then we must be the ones that have to change. Everyone say amen, amen. even if you don't want to. Because as I look through this story in the book of Acts, I am searching for the things that we need to do in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions, in our attitudes to facilitate what God wants to bring around. I know God wants revival because I know God. He's not changed. He has given us a commission to go into all the world and make disciples. Amen. He has told us how to do it. He has empowered us by His Spirit. He's not changed. We are the ones that have to change. Amen. And make no mistake, I do not buy into this idea that we should just sit back because God is going to take care of things. I meet Christians who say, well, you know what? If God wanted to have a big church, then he would make some rich businessman donate a million dollars. I disagree with that. How do I know that? Look at this. The walls of Jericho did not budge an inch until seven days of marching were done. Gideon did not win his victory against the Midianites until he had armed his men with torches and jars. Naaman was not cleansed from leprosy until he went and dipped in the Jordan River seven times. Goliath did not fall by himself. Somebody had to pick up a sling and five stones and go out and meet him. Amen. The blind man was not healed from his blindness until he went and washed in the pool of Siloam. Saul did not become Paul until Ananias listened to the voice of God, got up, 
and went to go see him. Amen. Make no mistake, God wants to move us to action so that he can work through those actions to bring glory to God. Amen. Amen. So here's the first thing. If we know that God has not changed, and we know that the only thing that is limiting revival is us in some way, what do we need to do? Here's the first thing I think. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. says, And all that believed were together, and had all things in common. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are of the household. Everyone say household of faith. Ephesians 2.19 Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 For this cause... I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family, everyone say family, in heaven and earth is named. Here's what I notice in the early church. They were a family. They were a family. The early church operated under this principle as a family. And as a church, we ought to operate under this principle of a family as well. As a family, we seek after God. As a family, we gather and worship together. As a family, we sit and listen to the Word of God. As a family, we fellowship after church. As a family, we work in the kingdom with each member of the family working in their place. What is a family? A family is somebody who is related by blood. Now, if you don't understand the spiritual implications of that, let me lay it out for you. Jesus Christ paid a price on the cross of Calvary and shed His blood, not just for you, but for Brother Isaac. Not just for me, but for you, and for you, and for you, and for you. The same blood that cleansed me from my sin is the same blood that cleansed you from your sin. And that's why we are family. We have a blood relationship here. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ together. We're related. We're a family. And it is only when we understand that we are a family we are going to be able to see the revival come that God wants to send us. Somebody say amen. amen. What happens when the family needs something? Comes first. You know, I've been listening to, listening to a podcast um, I told you this before, I'm sure I listen to a lot of history. I love history. You know, if I could maybe go back, I'd love to study history in uni. I don't know. I love history. But, you know, back during World War II, right after the Great Depression, families struggled so much that they could only afford to give one of their kids a college education, a university education. And so the family would sit together and they go, all right, who is the best person to send off to college to get the education so they can support the family? Who's the best one that we're going to send out now to war so they can just start sending five bucks a week home from their pay? Who's the ones who are going to stay home and look after the crops and dig holes for fences on the family farm? 
while this brother's off at university and this brother's off serving in the war. That's family. That's family working together going, okay, what am I going to sacrifice? You know, the, the person digging holes might have got a bit upset sometimes and went, why can't I go off and have an adventure at war? Why can't I go off and get the, the nice education? But no, he understood the family needs me to stay here. The family needs me to sacrifice. I've got to stay here to look after my mom. I've got to look after my dad. I've got to help him put food on the table. Family. Family. Everyone say Family. We are a family. No parent ever puts their needs above their children. The number of times I'll be eating the most delicious meal you can ever imagine that Sister Janie has cooked me. And a pair of little bluey eyes comes up to me, looks at my food, says, can I have some? You know what he likes to do? One of my favorite parts of a bowl of Nutri-Grain is that little bit of milk that's left over. Every time, almost every time, I'm getting ready to start. Oh, here's the milk. There's Jonathan. Daddy, can I have that? Sometimes he doesn't even ask me. He just grabs the bowl. But I don't hate him for that. I don't stop him. I don't feel bad. I don't correct him. I don't say, how dare you take food from me? Don't you know who I am? Of course not. He's my son. There is nothing that I would not give for my little boy. And anybody else who are parents here would feel the same. Amen. There is nothing that we won't do to help our children get ahead, to help things happen. Church, thinking now spiritually, we are a church that is here, what? To raise spiritual children, to bring people out of there, to experience the wonder of new life. But what are we going to do as parents? Hear me now. What are we going to do as parents to help them get closer to God? Hello. Somebody say amen. Amen. You see, these people are coming in, but it's a, it's a bad parent. It's a, no, I don't want you. You don't come in here. This is my church. This is my pew. You don't come in here. I'm getting looked after by the pastor. I'm getting looked after by the leadership. I don't want anybody new here. That's not of God. Amen? And so as a family, the family sacrifices to look after the interests of the children. No spouse that seeks a loving relationship will put their own desires first. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the definition of a functional family. One that bears one another's burdens, that helps one another out, that cares for one another, that sacrifices for one another. The first two or three years when Jonathan was born, there was a couple of times I had to travel for church stuff. And Sister Janie wasn't able to travel with me because we had Jonathan. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. That's what that means. And the problem is, is that we get so caught up in our own individual rights, and this is what the world promotes. Now, don't get me wrong. You have worth as an individual. 
right? But the world system teaches us that I have my rights and you cannot touch my rights and I am special. And you are special. But when we come together as a family, we need to understand that there is a cause far greater than our individual rights. There is a mission that God has given us that is far greater than anything we could ever hope to achieve by ourselves. And it is only when we come together as a family we will see the revival that God wants to pour out on us. Amen? And so as a family, I had someone put it to me like this. We've been living in a two-bedroom apartment. Now we've got too many kids. It's time to move. Turn to the person next to you. Say, it's time to move. We need to move because our family is growing. And I want our family to grow. Someone say, praise the Lord. Nearly tricked you then, didn't I? So that's the first thing I noticed in the early church. They were a family. Here's the second thing I noticed. Because the early church understood that they were a family, and because the early church had a common cause, and because they had bought into the plan that God had for them, they were willing to sacrifice. Acts chapter 2 and verse 45, it says, And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. But do you want to know what the first thing is that jumps out to me in that? They sold their possessions. Everyone say their. We skip over words sometimes in the Bible, don't we? We don't really pay much attention to the little words in between. We read the theme and we don't really pick up what they're saying there. But they sold their possessions. They sold what they owned. They sold what they had. This reminds me of the story in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4. The story goes that there is a widow woman whose husband had passed away. Her husband was a prophet who had been trained by Elisha. Her husband had passed away. She was a widow. She had two boys. And her two boys were about to get sold into slavery because she could not pay the debt that she had. And she came to Elisha and she said, my two boys are going to be sold. And he basically said to her, what do you want me to do about it? That was the first thing he said. The second thing he said is, what have you got in your house? What have you got in your house? And she went into her house. Maybe she rummaged around in the cabinets and opened up the refrigerator and uh, had a look and see what was in there. I'm sure they did. You mean there was a time when we didn't have refrigeration? And all she could find was a single little jar of canola oil. Call it canola oil. Maybe it was olive oil. Mediterranean. We'll call it olive oil. A little tiny jar of oil. And Elisha said, that's it. Here's what I want you to do. Go out and get as many containers as you can. Bring not a few, the Bible says. Get as many as you can. Go and ask and ask and ask. And she went, okay. She went out, got the containers, come back. And as she began to pour the oil into the containers, the oil never ran out. Just kept going. Filled that container up. Filled that container up. Filled that container up. Filled that container up. Here's the problem that we have with that. We know that God 
owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. We know, the Bible says, that God owns all the gold, all the silver. It's His. And we know that He has the power that if He wanted to, I could look right behind this pulpit and go, oh, look, God just put 20 gold bars right there. He could do that. No problems. Absolutely no problems. He could make a businessman walk right through that door this exact instant and say, I'm going to write you a check for $30 million to build you whatever you want to build. Easy. No problems for God. And we wonder why he doesn't. And we look at this story and we go, why didn't God just go, okay, Elisha, tell her to go dig over there. There'll be a buried chest full of gold coins for her to use. Because that would be cool, wouldn't it? What a great story. Imagine the Facebook thing, right? Imagine the Cairns Post article, businessman donates $30 million to small local church. Wouldn't that be amazing? But God doesn't work like that. No, see, God wants to know, what do you have in your house? Because God doesn't normally do the massive, big, miraculous, showy things. But what He does is He looks at what you've got and that's what He uses for the miraculous. That's what He uses to provide. That's what He uses to make a way. And you notice this, that miracle stopped when she stopped getting containers. Or in other words, the miracle was limited only until the point when she said, okay, that's enough. Maybe there would have been a few times where the boys came back and said, Mom, you know, we've got 40 containers. Is that enough? And she's like, well, you know, he said don't get a few, so let's go out again and get some more. But at some point, she said, that'll do. That's enough. And that's when the miracle stopped. You see, God is not interested in, 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 in the hypotheticals. And, and that's what we're so like as Christians. We say, you know what? I'm going to give lots to God. When my rich auntie and uncle dies. I am going to give heaps to God when my native land title comes through. When I get that job, I am just going to give so much to the kingdom of God. When I have that big paycheck, man, I'm going to give thousands of dollars to God. But that's not what it's about. God wants to know, what do you have in your house right now, today? That's what God can use. Somebody say amen. This is a principle in Scripture. The truth is the same with Moses. Moses is out in the desert. And God says, hey, you, I want you to go to Egypt to free my people. He's like, me? And he says, I can't go. I can't speak. They're going to kill me. And he comes up with excuse after excuse after excuse. Eventually, God just says, what do you have in your hand? I got a staff. You see, we would like to say, well, wait until you got the king's scepter in your hand. Wait until you got a big checkbook in your hand. But no, God just says, what do you got in your hand right now? I got a stuff. Throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake. God wants to use what you have in your hand. God wants to use what you have in your house. He even goes one step further. He said, put your hand in your, in your cloak. Put it in. Came out. Covered in leprosy. Put it back again. God uses your hand even if it's empty. It's not beyond God's power. But all he wants to know is what is in your hand. It's same with the little boy and the five loaves, the two fishes. I'm trying to build your faith here this morning. You know, there's 5,000 people sitting there. They're all hungry. They're all belly aching. They're saying, feed me, Jesus. And he says, well, what have we got? Well, it just so happens that a McDonald's opened up just down there. Great, we'll send them all there. That would be miraculous. Miraculous. 
right? That's what we would want to see happen. We would want to see something like manna suddenly fall from heaven again. That's what we want to see. But Jesus just turns around and goes, what have we got? Well, we scrounged around and we've come up with poor little boy's lunch, five loaves, two fishes. He's willing to give it. It's all he's got. And Jesus says, that's it. Let's start with that. That's what we've got. Begins to break it open. Just doesn't stop. Just keeps breaking it open. Breaking it open. Breaking it open. But here's something else I want you. This, this just popped into my mind right now. You know where the miracle happened? It wasn't with Jesus. The Bible says that he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And as the disciples broke it, that's where the miracle happened. You see, the miracle is not going to happen just with the pastor. The miracle is not just going to happen with the leadership team. The miracle is not just going to happen with those who think we're on fire for God. But the miracle happens with everybody. Everybody in this church, everybody has a role to play. Everybody has a part to fulfill. Amen? And the miracle can happen from there. God wants to know what is in your hand. Because if we can give that to God, He can use it. For the miraculous. So it's Pledge Sunday. Someone say amen. amen. What are we looking to do? It's time to stretch your faith. Turn to the person next to you. Say stretch your faith. Stretch your faith.